0: What's up? This is Founders Talk. I'm Adam Stachowiak. On this show, I share one-on-one conversations I have with founders, CEOs, and makers about their journey, their lessons learned, and what it takes to build and to run their business. If you're a new listener, head to FoundersTalk.fm for all the ways to subscribe. And if you're a long-time listener, hey, thanks for coming back and thank you for listening. If you haven't yet, check out Changelaw Plus Plus, that's our membership. For our diehard listeners who want to directly support us, they want to drop the ads, and they want to get a little closer to the metal with bonus content. Check it out at changelaw.com plus plus. On today's show, I'm talking to Pierre Richelson, co-founder and co-CEO of Cal.com. Pierre and the team at Cal are focused on building the stripe for time with a grand mission to connect a billion people by 2031 through calendar scheduling. Cal has grown from an open-source side project and one of the fastest-growing commercial open-source companies out there. When we me get into all the details, what it means to be an open-source Calendly alternative, how they quantify connecting a billion people by 2031, where there's room for innovation in the scheduling space, and why Community First is part of their secret sauce. Also, as a side note to this show, I'm a big fan of Calendly. Mad respect for Tope. He has an open invite on this show. Big thanks to our friends and our partners at Fastly for having our back. Our CDM back, that is. All of our pods, all of our assets, they're fast globally because Fastly is fast globally. Check them out at Fastly.com. This episode is brought to you by our friends at WorkOS when it comes to adding enterprise-ready features or selling to enterprise customers, product teams, engineering departments, developers. They're all faced with a choice to ignore and focus on viable features. Or get distracted and learn how to integrate with complex legacy systems. And I'm here with Michael Greenwich, the founder and CEO of WorkOS, who knows there's a better way. Michael, what do teams at Vercel or PlanetScale know about the world of enterprise features that no one else knows?
1: The world of enterprise features is full of acronyms. Typically, they are like these three or four letter acronyms like SAML or SCIM, or seam. it's like Secure Event Information Event Management. There are these long, kind of like really obscure acronyms that most developers aren't familiar with, they've never really heard of. And this is what ITMs require you to build integrations around. They say, hey, we need SAML, or we have to have a skim integration, etc. And for companies like, you know, PlanetScale or Vercel that are building on really modern stacks, building with React and like, you know, cutting-edge JavaScript technology and like web applications... They're really having to go integrate with these old legacy platforms and systems like SAML's built around like XML several generations before. And so I think when those companies looked at what to do in this scenario, they have deals that are getting blocked because they don't have something like SAML single sign on. And their engineering team is like, do we really want to spend all the time to go read the spec and learn how this works and dive into all the different ways this can break? And in the case of SAML, there's a bunch of instances of security vulnerabilities that have happened over the years. Do they really want to spend time on that? Or, or do, do they want to spend time building, you know, the unique features that power Vercel, you know, like focusing on Next.js and focusing on those applications. And for these companies, they, they don't. They don't want to spend the time thinking about SAML. They want to be able to hand it off to someone who can really go deep in that and obsess over it. And so we're sort of like, you know, the, the, the partners to all these companies that goes really, really deep around, you know, these acronyms or obscure technologies, making sure they don't just work really well, but they work everywhere with every single system. And we've tested it end to end. And it even has this kind of compounding effect. The more people using WorkOS, kind of the more stable and more robust it becomes. And what it really does is lets companies like Vercel or PlanetScale or Hopin or Webflow focus on those product features and for their best engineers to spend time still delighting their customers and not... Necessarily doing these uh, enterprise IT integrations.
0: That's awesome. Thank you, Michael. So even if your team isn't focused on enterprise, you can still leverage WorkOS. So you're not turning enterprise away. Learn more, get started at workos.com. They have a simple page you grow pricing plan that scales with your usage and needs. No credit card is required. Again, workos.com Well, Pierre, this is Finish Talk. Thanks for joining me. It's been a pleasure, I guess, seeing your journey. I've been paying attention from the outside, obviously, here at Change, while we have an affinity and a love for open source. And I guess you're hanging out in the space called commercial open source. Do you like that term? Is that a term that you aspire to? Or what's your take on that term?
2: I think it's a very good term. I didn't know about the term when we started this project. For us, it was just an open source project. And to be fair, it was also not commercial by the day we started it. <laughs> so it wasn't even a commercial open source software company. But yeah, I mean, w- once I started looking into the space and there is obviously FOSS or free open source software
3: mm-hmm.
2: and COS or is commercial open source is obviously the commercial pendant to uh, open source software. And I think it's actually one of the very important ways of going forward with open source, because if you've seen some of the downsides of open source maintainers burning out without funding, uh, without a team, um, and a lot of security risks as well, if, you, if you've if you seen like the Log4j vulnerability,
3: yeah,
2: but just the two, I don't know how many, two, three people maintaining it as a hobby. The likelihood that a commercial open source software has any severe vulnerabilities is I think lower because you have the budget to do security audits and have like hire the same amount of people that, like, that would usually work at Stripe or Microsoft or Facebook.
0: And so the current venture you're working on right now is the, I'm not going to say infamous because that's kind of negative, right? But I would say the famous cal.com. And yeah, I, I have to say, right up front, on the top, I've been a Calendly user for many, many years.
2: <laughs> that's great. I love Calendly. <laughs> not a Cal user
0: mm-hmm. so far. I, and I figured you did, you know, but I've been a... Very happy user of Calendly because it totally has disrupted the way that I personally have taken meetings. Probably for like the last four or five years, I I can't even remember a day. This is how long I've been using it since I've emailed back and forth. When can you meet? When can you meet? When can you meet? That kind of thing and playing that volleyball back and forth. And like, my gosh, what a yeah, what a savings! And is it safe to say or the easiest way to say that you're the open source Calendly? Is that how you describe yourself? What do you how do you take to that?
2: Yeah, for the longest time. I mean, it's literally our tagline for the longest time on the landing page to be the open source alternative to Calendly. Um, And that's also, I'd say, most of the initial growth because people who are aware of Calendly know immediately what cal.com is about because it's like you can make the connections it's same as uh, Superbase is is saying uh, the, the open source alternative to Firebase, mm-hmm. which is obviously a product by Google and has a, a lot of developer acceptance. No, I mean, for us going forward, we prefer the term open scheduling because at the end of the day, that's what we do. We try to build a very open developer-friendly scheduling product. And there's not many other open scheduling companies out there. If you take a look, our main competitors are likely also other open source Calendly alternatives. And by uh, 8th of February, the recording day of today, we haven't seen anyone else uh, doing what we do. And so we feel really strong about the open scheduling space.
0: Yeah. We, we can probably touch on some unique edge cases, what you're doing. But one thing I saw recently on Twitter around Cal.com was, uh, and do you just call yourselves Cal.com or do you call yourselves Cal? What's the great? Right- phonetics for your brand
2: yeah we usually refer to cal as the product and then cal.com as a company okay same as wordpress and wordpress.com if, if that makes sense so okay can both works for us okay
0: so a feature then of cal.com i guess would be this future where if i own a token that i can meet up and i'm not even sure how this feature works but this is like the interesting thing i see you pointing at and not something i see from cal not that it's a race of like features or whatever but like I saw that and I was like, okay, that's super interesting because I'm learning and embracing more and more of this Web3 future and the useful cases of NFTs. We had a show on our main show called The Changelog with Michael Rogers going deep into NFTs, the whole technical bits around it. So we've been covering it for a while, but the use case of NFTs are super interesting. And this idea of a token or this ownership of something, getting you access to something else is something I saw as a feature set. Or a future feature set for you? Can you talk about what that is and how that works?
2: Yeah, absolutely. So we actually went live with this product about two or three days ago on Product Hunt. And
0: okay, so it's early days.
2: It's very early days. Yeah, it's literally ground zero. And um, we were awarded with a Product of the Day, I believe, four hundred upvotes. And one of the tweets actually went like viral with more than two hundred fifty thousand impressions. And I think I think like nine hundred comments. And I don't know how many hundreds of retweets. No, I mean, to put it in a nutshell, we build an integration and, and there's many integrations. We have a Zoom integration, we have other integrations that works with, that is Web3 compatible, which means you can request ownership of a certain token as a matter of verification to book someone's time. I myself, I'm in the in the orange DAO, which is the, the Y Combinator, like the unofficial Y Combinator DAO, uh, the, the decentralized autonomous organization that is investing in other YC crypto projects. So it's, it's a mix of like a VC firm, but very decentralized. There's no single CEO or president. Everyone can vote on proposals and, and it's settled on, on a blockchain. And we have our own token, which is the Orange token. And now what I'm doing is I can publicly send a link on Twitter or in the Discord of, of the Orange DAO or, or on a public website. And only people from the Orange DAO who own the same token can book my calendar and that's amazing for office hours for group calls but even for sales meetings or some other stuff where you need a certain gate um, and you don't want to have everyone book your time
0: similar to the way you might do a payment to see somebody's time You, you essentially show some sort of authentication or some sort of event happens prior to the authorization of booking the event right
2: what i find interesting about nfts is less like i don't own any expensive NFTs like I don't own a board Ape Yacht Club I don't own a CryptoPunk I don't even know if I would keep it if someone gifts me one I mean feel free to give me one if you <laughs> listen to,
0: to me me too please
2: yeah, give both me and Peter
0: <laughs> um, CryptoPunks sure
2: but no I mean what I find interesting is that for me it's a decentralized SAML where it gives you authority over certain attributes like you could have let's say and we all know SAML like for you know, onboarding a new employee that now gets access to uh, your team ownership or something. Right. And if you own an NFT, you could have an NFT, let's just brainstorm in the, in the future, a DAO could have an NFT that only the sales team has, or an NFT that only the marketing team has, or the leadership team. And this NFT now gives you access to a range of different products. And one of them with us could be scheduling. So basically once you own a certain, once you get granted this decentralized asset, it now opens certain doors like a key to the conference room. Right? So that's very interesting to me. I care less about the art. I care less about the videos and 3d animations. I care about the fundamental idea of having a decentralized database because that's at the end of the day, what a blockchain is. It's an open source yeah, ledger that just runs the same protocol. And that's very interesting for, I think any open source company should look into Web3. Yeah, There's a lot of things
0: you can do. Well, I guess then going a couple of years deeper into this feature, what's the vision for this? What In the few days it's been out, Yeah, what's going on with it?
2: We've seen uh, a good amount of usage already. I don't think this is like for the next few weeks, uh, a big priority. It's for us more of like keeping our research and development skills like intact and really be looking out in the market like what's what's something people are working on what's something we can contribute to what's something we can inspire people to do the difference between web 2 and web 3 in terms of usage is obviously millions versus billions there's billions of people using facebook but there's probably only a couple millions using big cloud or some i don't even know what what a web 3 version of facebook is but For us, it's to be very early into these type of new technologies and to learn. I think there's a ton of early mover advantage in these new technologies. Uh, And for us, it's more of a question of like when versus if. I truly think that DAOs is an entirely new legitimate form of organizations. And I don't think this is going to go away anytime soon. Sure, there's going to be DAOs that go to zero, but so is companies. In startups, like the failure rate of startups is probably the same as of DAOs. <laughs> mm-hmm. So I think once you accept the reality that this is here to stay and people will buy and create and own tokens, it only makes sense to be one of the very first people to look into the space and see what happens. Even if, let's say, this doesn't become a moneymaker or doesn't become a, a core priority, it's it's worth the risk to, to launch something like this.
0: Mm-hmm. When you say worth it, you mean the feature of, you know, kind of looking at tokens as an authorization, authentication mechanism? Yeah, the, the
2: engineering work to launch it, the marketing work to uh, to make it. Obviously, even the marketing has already paid off in, in high dividends because some people don't care about tokens, but they've heard about Cal and they may eventually want to use some sort of token. So they make an account today, but then mm-hmm. use the Web3 integration once they actually join a DAO or... or bought an nft and i think also what we intend to be is to just showcase what you can actually do with an open platform because technically speaking anyone could have built this web three integration like it's not just us it's just being capable of building such a thing in an open matter like the entire integration is open source everything can be looked at is just very inspiring for other engineers to think about what's actually the possibility of having an open access to a calendar
0: uh, speaking of the Wii, how big is the team these days? Give me a rough count of like engineers, marketing, whatever you want to, mm-hmm. whatever you want to share. It's very
2: engineering heavy. I think over seventy percent of the team is engineers. We are anywhere between ten and twelve. However, you want to see the freelancers and part time. Some of them are sometimes they work. A full month, sometimes there's not much to do in terms of marketing or some other tasks, but designing uh, or just customer support is sometimes flexible. I'd say the core team is 10, roughly, with, I believe, let me, I can check that later, seven engineers or so.
0: So I guess the reason why I was poking there was, you know, having the bandwidth to be able to support an edge feature, you know, to be worth it is one thing. But yeah, because it kind of can take you away from your core product, which is, I guess it's still scheduling though. You're just sort of like doing a bleeding edge version of like that. And then maybe that brings in high value. I mean, it's just as good as marketing as it is, maybe a feature Mm -hmm. because you're bringing in high value or in quotes, high value people, because these are innovators or perceived as innovators and they could be high net worth folks because they've got crypto punk, for example, you know what I mean? You know what I mean? So if they're in that space, then you're really attracting some unique people who see innovation. And you know, if Cal is, an innovation on what Calendly has already done in the open source space, but going farther and beyond, as you had said, you know, maybe that's worth building because you're bringing in those kind of people.
2: Yeah, I, absolutely. And, and our core vision um, is to connect a billion people by 2031. And we, were, we always think of what's something we want to include. And we've launched, I think, 13 languages so far. And mm-hmm. when we see something like the Web3 industry, which is, still technically underserved in terms of products. Like they just recently launched like a Zoom for Web3 and there's no Salesforce Web3. There's no Google Mail for Web3. Like it's very much a a new frontier. And these people, it's still millions of people, right? Like who use cryptocurrencies today. And I think being this pioneer in this new industry uh, is very important for us to just show that there's more to just being, a knockoff. Like I've seen a lot of open source projects who never escape the mental model of being an, a Calendly alternative. I mean, eventually we will probably get rid of that claim mm-hmm. and be the open scheduling product. And those things, you know, like these Web3 integrations and the developer platform and the open API, none of these things is something Calendly is doing. And so eventually it's not a matter of feature parity, but also rate of innovation and listening to our customers.
0: Yeah. I mean, this is a, I wouldn't necessarily call it an issue. I don't really, Don't even know how to describe it. I mean, you've got even as so much as GitLab versus GitHub, you know? And and Uh, yeah, absolutely. I've been a friend of Sid's for many years. In fact, we just had a show with Sid celebrating his S1 status, you know, amazing, right? Getting on the, on the dot, you know, on the, on the IPO status and all that stuff. Like (laughs) what an amazing run. But, you know, at the same time, at the same rate, there's always been this comparison between GitLab and GitHub because GitLab is essentially the open source GitHub. For sure. And they've gone beyond that because now they're the DevOps platform and so much more. The single application does so much for enterprise teams, whereas GitHub is really didn't win very much, at least early days in the enterprise space. They really won with the consumer and the individual like you and I. You know, they got essentially the heart of open source under its belt in terms of your code and repository. It's like, you just can't deny that. Yeah. And I actually talked to Sid about that. So you see that with even GitLab and GitHub and maybe Cal versus Calendly and you got, you know, pick your thing, right? Even like with Superbase for example, and Firebase. Well, we talked to Paul Copplestone and he said they're kind of reluctant about that tagline now because it's not really, not so much not true, but it's it's not what they're trying to do. It doesn't really encapsulate their vision anymore. And so maybe it began, and in particular with his stance with Superbase was that when they attached the the open source alternative to Firebase tagline, they shot up on Hacker News, got a lot of press and a lot of attraction and attention. And that's what got them their attention. It wasn't the only thing that kept it, of course, but it got the attention because there was something about Firebase, something about what it did, and it was acquired by Google and this sort of like proprietariness of it and you know, behind closed doors and people want, you know, that open source nature. You may not care to contribute to the code, but you you may care about the stewardship of that code in the future. So if Superbase fails, this thing you poured your work into as an open source contributor or a user base of that because you love Postgres, you don't want to see that just die with the company, right? Yeah. Similar to even ZFS. I know I'm on a little bit of a rant here because these are all sort of like percolating things for me. Like even ZFS the file system is 20 years in the making. Like it's been around 20 years. Wow. It's now, you know, got a lot more legs, but it was inside of some microsystems. Uh, somehow open source licensed a few years in that some Microsystems was acquired by Oracle. We know Oracle is totally against like open source, right? Yeah. Uh, and only by sheer luck was the code base open sourced enough to fork it and turn it into open ZFS. So like that is an example of like, the reason why you want code to be open source, the reason why you wanted to serve the populace, the commons of the people, because it's it's no longer useful if people can't use it. Right. What's the point of code? No. If you can't use the code. Right. Absolutely. I'm on a bit of a rant here. So help me get back into a show. But like I just see this happening, this idea of like Cal versus County, How do you get out of this shell? This you know, how do you get out from under that shadow kind of thing?
2: Yeah. So two points to that. First, we did the pretty much same playbook, and Paul's also an investor in Cal. Um, we went completely bananas on Hacker News when we just had Calendly open source alternative as a single title. We didn't even have a description. People immediately knew what was what this was about because obviously Calendly is a strong brand, and people like like love. I love Calendly. I love the idea of sending a Cal link, right? Because otherwise, I wouldn't be in this business if I fundamentally disagreed with the mechanics. No, but like that really drove our early traction and gave us community members who wanted to, who shared the same sentiment. Like
3: mm-hmm.
2: if you've taken a look at other scheduling products, there was x.ai, which was a like a more AI-focused scheduling tool. And it's, it's like um, a closed source SaaS product. Mm-hmm. And a ton of companies built their scheduling infrastructure on top of x.ai. And they recently shut down because they got acquired by some event scheduling company. And, and uh, we had people in our inbox crying because they didn't know where to go to. And they didn't know, like, this is not a business priority, but in two weeks, we have a thousand people who need a new scheduling product or something. Right. So this is really what happens when closed SaaS, like you're being thrown out of the house you're renting. And now you need to find a new house. Whereas if you have open source, You own, everyone owns the code. No one and everyone owns the code. And I think that's very beautiful because if we shut down and you may have a commercial license with cal.com Inc, or you may not, the worst thing that's going to happen to you is maybe you get a bit less engineering support, but like still, we will probably be at a point where there's so much knowledge built around the project. Like most people don't even know WordPress has a company. Like when I got started and I started hacking on WordPress, I was like 15 or something. And I didn't even know what open source companies are. I just thought, oh, cool. Someone made this for free. That's, that's great. Mm. Uh, So like (laughs) if WordPress company is automatic and knock on wood shuts down tomorrow or gets bought by some PE firm and they rip out everything and then nothing changes. Like the code is there. The deed has been done. What type of company can say that? Like, I find that really impressive, the longevity of open source. Like we've been forked a thousand times. If we (laughs) delete our repository and we go crazy, it's like the code is still there. It's impossible by now to get rid of this this company, this project. And I find that really inspiring because if anything, when you provide a service and you, you have customers who love it, why not like have these customers forever? Like why should something only be for a short amount of time? And I look at companies like, Let's say Webflow, which is like this website creator, or Squarespace, or Vix. Like these are amazing companies to capture value and provide a hosted service. But like eventually, you know, I mean, ten years is a long time in tech, but not a long time for let's say the end consumer. Like I have my own let's say email address for twenty years now, like, and I intend to keep it for the next twenty years. If I had my blog there, and at some point I get an email, hey, we're shutting down. Like go 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 figure. That's usually when you start to realize how short-term most technology is. And to be an open source is just really great because we even have a longevity guarantee, which means if we eventually even shut down, we want to reincorporate as a as a nonprofit uh, organization to have like a more, let's say, lower tech team, less smaller ambitions, but just maintenance of the code base and maybe even donate it to, let's say, the Uh, Apache foundation or something, but like
3: Mm.
2: we, we do have policies in place where we think if this ever fails as a startup, as a VC funded growth case, we want this to be a thing in the next 10, 20 years.
0: This episode is brought to you by Square. Millions of businesses depend on Square partners to build custom solutions using Square products and APIs. When you become a Square solutions partner, you get to leverage the entire Square platform to build robust e-commerce websites, smart payment integrations, and custom solutions for Square sellers. You don't just get access to SDKs and APIs. You get access to the exact SDKs and the exact APIs that Square uses to build the Square platform and all their applications. This is a partnership that helps you grow. Square has partner managers that help you develop your strategy, close deals, and gain customers. There are literally millions of Square sellers who need custom solutions so they can innovate for their customers and build their businesses. You get incentives and profit sharing. You can earn a 25% sales revenue share, seller referrals, product bounties, and more. You get alpha access to APIs and new products. You get product, marketing, tech, and sales support. And you're also able to get Square certified. You can get training on all things Square so you can deliver for Square sellers. The next step is to head to changelog.com slash Square and click become a solutions partner. Again, changelaw.com slash Square. What's the state of things now, I guess, since you're, you got a recent round of funding. I think it was just late last year, right? Like 7 million Mm -hmm. or something like that. I forget what the exact number was. 7.4. Yeah. 7. You wouldn't forget the number, would you?
2: (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's quite, it's, yeah, it's last year. We announced it, I think in December, the fundraise was concluded a few months before December, like four months, I think Uh, it's a group of amazing technologists. It's anywhere from open source capital, which is very obviously interested in the open source space. Yeah. Uh, Naval, uh, Balaji, you know, the ex-CTO of Coinbase. And then there's a ton of other like Niha from OnFluent and some uh, other open source all-stars like the um, ex-CTO of MongoDB. And it's just really cool to have these ex-operators, founders, and people like technologists who have built these amazing companies, Chad Hurley, uh, the co-founder of YouTube. It's really interesting to be working with the people I've like, it's pretty much always people I wanted to work with. And it gives us a lot of confidence to really push for, let's say connecting the billion people by 2031.
0: Hmm. How did you come to that number? I mean, it's such an interesting year, I suppose. And I guess if you were counting 10 up from 2021, we started 2021. Okay. That would make sense then a decade from now. Yeah. Yeah.
2: (laughs) It also sounds cooler than 2030.
0: Right. Okay. 2031, (laughs) sure. Okay. So why that number? How did you get, what's the quantifiable metric behind the scenes that says, okay, this number makes sense?
2: Yeah. So obviously as open source, its metrics are really tough, (laughs) like self-hosted telemetry is a two-sided sword. I couldn't even tell you how many Docker instances run today. I don't think Docker knows how many Docker instances run today or WordPress. So that obviously is a challenge, but for us, we have a metric, which is just raw bookings, which we track with like anonymous analytics. That gives us some sort of feeling. um, We've done almost a million bookings by now, which is obviously a great signal. But to how we came to 1 billion, I mean, in 10 years, I don't know how many people will be on the web. I imagine 8 billion or something in 10 years to have like, to build technology that's truly open and accessible and really Solves a core problem, which is two humans meeting. I mean, that's literally all we do nowadays. Like, I barely use my email. I use my email to send Cal links. Hmm. That's pretty much my day job. I imagine yours is similar. Sure, you sometimes meet, like, send some follow up notes, but the true human connection happens in, let's say, FaceTime calls or podcasts or dentist appointments or massage appointments or telehealth or hiring marketplaces. You know, it's the sheer amount of use cases for two humans to meet and make time is infinite. And by having this vision of connecting a billion people, we really optimize to make the right decisions to reach as many people as, as possible. Like, same way WhatsApp is now connecting, like, what, two billion people or something. Mm-hmm. They've really always focused on having a simple yet powerful tool that works for absolutely everyone.
0: What's the possibility that, I guess, if we, like, when I since I'm such a diehard user of Calendly for many years now, I've only really used them in the context of mostly setting up podcasts or zoom calls to meet people pretty much. Yeah. But I, I have a masseuse, I've got a chiropractor, I got a dentist, as you'd mentioned. And, you know, I would think that those types of folks would either use square and their calendar set up, like how does Cal fit in, in a world where you've got commerce happening and meetings happening and like, yeah. where do you plan to go from there?
2: It's very interesting. There's a lot of companies offering scheduling products, but it's never their core use case. It's kind of like feature versus company. And something should be a company, something should be a feature. Like If you take a look at Clubhouse versus Twitter Spaces, Clubhouse alone is probably not strong enough to be a company, but I love Twitter Spaces. It's a great feature for for the Twitter app. I think the scheduling problem with time zones and availability and checking multiple calendars and uh, having integrations It's just so complicated and hard that not even power users, but like just the average user quickly notices that all these pre-made Squarespace scheduling products are just features and not products. Mm -hmm. We have a ton of, you know, telehealth medicine companies who probably use Squarespace, but then embed their cal.com iframe or or, or, uh, script just because it's... It does what it should do and it's just not a feature. Mm-hmm. So I think another thing to mention is the network effects because eventually when more and more people start to integrate you know, Cal.com, let's say your, your dentist uses Cal.com and you have a Cal.com account yourself, there's very interesting network effects at play where it could overlap your schedule where it says, oh, you're not available on Monday, so like don't show me the Monday of your dentist. There's another thing where we could auto-match certain availabilities. Like maybe there's a feature one day where it, let's say, sets up recurring meetings with something. And if the recipient and the the link sender has a Cal.com account, there's a ton of things we can do with this network of of time. Uh, So that's just a few things why we think that eventually there's going to be a trend where Cal.com becomes the commodity for scheduling. And being a commodity also means being super compatible Mm -hmm. to everyone else's instance. And that's something where we see really true long-term network effects at play, even with payments, you know, like accepting payments for booking, cryptocurrencies as a booking. I have a friend who runs a massage studio and she's taking bookings over like paid bookings. And that's,
3: Mm.
2: that unlocks an entire new business model for for millions of industries millions of people in all kinds of industries
0: yeah so i go to my barber and uh, the first step i'm going to my barber is going to whatever page square sets up for them they got their card reader on site or whatever hardware they have and square is very much and they're also a sponsor of ours too this is why i know so much at least about them they're a hardware company and a software company yeah they have hardware at the physical device there and i'm curious like Cause I can see that future. You're that innovative thinking. Is that a future for you where one day my barber could be using Cal instead and you've got hardware and you're competing with square a billion transaction per year company, like just a massive company, you know, all that good stuff, but. I go to my barber. I go to his site, pick a date that works for me. It's got all this confirmation stuff via text confirming I'll be there because he, you know, every missed booking for a barber is like, Mm -hmm. you know, one less seat. He might do eight, 10 cuts a day Mm -hmm. and that's it. You know, he's really counting on every appointment showing up. Unlike a dentist where maybe they're a little bit more flexible because they're just different, I guess, maybe in their pay structure or whatever insurance involved, who knows, but.
2: No shows are always expensive. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And I get there to do my cut and I pay with my card with the Square hardware. Like everything was through, you know, Square's infrastructure. Basically, they give that barber the ability to never have to write a line of code, basically. And I love that. (laughs) Right. Like it takes people who would never write code. Not that they can't, but just would never because they their skill is in like taking care of people like mine's hair, yeah. you know, trimming my beard, whatever it might be. Today I don't have one, but you know, whatever it might be.
2: The Barber is, is a great example, but I think of an even better example are the sheer amount of marketplaces that are on the web, like TopTel, Upwork, okay. uh, what's it called, Reschool and some other like pretty much marketplaces where the company provides a platform, but the users book other users. Now that's a use case you can't do with Calently. You can't do that with Savicall. You can't do that with Motion, because fundamentally these tools are, you know, consumer-focused link sharing products. For us, we can, and we actually have marketplaces that use Cal to use the entire infrastructure that we provide, including the UI components and the, the APIs to facilitate marketplaces. So in your case, sure, the B2C, the consumer barber may use Square, but the marketplace, the Airbnb for your local barbers or the the marketplace for your masseuses or massage studios or your dentists, we have a ton of telehealth marketplaces that use Cal. Mm-hmm. And for the same reason as they use other developer first product because they build it once and then they provide it to millions of billion potentially billions of of customers without even knowing. Like we probably it's likelier that we end up partnering with Square and providing them the scheduling infrastructure that really works than like having a direct direct to consumer sales funnel to your barber. Like I don't think we will be going that route. It's also very inefficient to be selling to individual barbers versus selling to software providers who then build scheduling.
0: Yeah. It's an interesting world. I mean, this um, I've always known Calendly was cool by being a user for so long, but I just never considered the amount of money, I suppose the, the economy, I suppose of two people meeting and you know, what a company. Yeah. It's big. It's a big problem. It definitely is a big problem. And like, I am so thankful. I just saw this, uh, a lot of bashing recently. And I guess it was indirectly bashing of Cal too, because it was bashing of Calendly (laughs) of like this whole... Oh yeah, from Lesson or this Twitter? Yeah, like I don't even know what all the details were. I just know it was like you're elite because you send the link to your Calendly, something like that. And I was just always like, I don't understand that. It's
2: about scheduling etiquette. And I really don't get it, both as a biased founder of a scheduling product, but also as a lover of Calendly and and lover of Cal and other... I, I mean... I like all the scheduling products. Every time you remove the friction out of meeting someone, like it's, it's bliss. Like it's just a waste of time on both ends.
0: My life has been bliss for many years now because of this lack of friction. Like I just couldn't understand the person's argument because I'm like. Absolutely. I just tell people, if you ever want to meet with me, my calendar's open to you. Here's my link. Go there. Yeah. Bookmark it. Yeah, exactly. I can cancel that meeting. Now I'd love to have some sort of token, potentially to let them in, whatever, but that's a different story.
2: You know what? Another cool feature that Cal has is um, called opt-in bookings, uh, which Calendly hasn't shipped yet. So basically, if someone leaks your link and people spam your Calendly link today, you would get 100 bookings, right? Like I could find your link and and make 100 bookings. Yeah, and and you would manually need to kill every single meeting. We have a feature called opt-in bookings where you first get a message, hey, this person would like to book you. Do you want to accept or reject it? Ah. So it's like a middleware in between. And right. Also, if you connect your Calendly or Savvy call to other integrations, to Zapier, like if someone book me, create an entry in my database. Now that's going to be interesting when 100 people DDoS your calendar because now your Zapier is running nonstop and creates a 1,000 entries in your Airtable. Yeah. So yeah, there's a ton of things which we really start from like day zero and rethink how we actually do the bookings. And, and those is just, this is just one of the features that we we do differently or we, we give you an option to it's It's optional, obviously. Right. But yeah, no, I mean about the scheduling etiquette, we actually wrote a blog post about this whole thing. And I mean, I want to interview this person, like, what's the difference between sending someone a scheduling link or sending someone written dates? Like, Hey, it's nice to meet you do you want to meet on Monday, 5 p.m., Friday, 6 p.m., or Thursday, whatever? Yeah. That is literally the same power play dynamic because now the other person needs to, you know, do all the homework and see, like, does it work on my calendar? What's the best time? And then they potentially need to spend more time to figure out what's working, go back to you and say, sorry, none of these dates work. How can you even have an argument about this? The, The only thing I always send when someone requests to meet me, first of all, by the way, if someone wants to meet you, you send the link. Like if you want to meet with me, or I want to meet with you, you know, I've I've uh then it's my duty, it's kind of like asking someone out, you know, like, hey, if you want to meet with me, then I'm sure I'll do something
3: yeah.
2: first to, you know, I'll do the work. If if I want to meet with you, I'll do the work. So, first of all, that's just normal etiquette, I might I imagine, right? Like that's just how humans work. You know, if I want something, I'll I'll be as helpful as possible. Now the other thing is. I always say, hey, I'd love to meet. Here's my link, but feel free to send me yours if that's easier for you. Mm. Problem solved. There's literally no power play at work because I don't care if you reply with a link. I literally don't care. Like, great, now I can use your link because then I can choose. And I even think receiving a link is better than sending a link because that gives me control over when it should happen. Like as a link sender, you may forgot to block your Sunday or something, right? Or you you forgot to block out your Friday evening and you already have a date and then you may need to reschedule. But if you, if you receive a link, now I can take my time and I can look into my calendar and say, yes, Monday is perfect. So this whole uh, discussion, and obviously this person received a lot of like opposite opinions of like, no, these scheduling products are amazing.
0: Yeah, I've seen so many people be like, I just got so much value from it. You're just way wrong person.
2: Yeah. So it's, I wouldn't say it's bad. I wouldn't even, it's, it's amazing marketing. And even when that blew up, we saw a ton of new like users signing up because people were like, Hey, if you don't like Calendly, there's also Cal and if there's, I mean, it's just the, the entire industry is still so young. Like, just think about how many people, you know, who have a scheduling link versus those who don't like my mom is using my link. And I mean, that. Says a lot, right? So it's like, <laughs> yeah, we made the, the mom test. You know, if your mom can use your product, you, you have a plus usability.
0: <laughs> I, I'm diehard, man. I'm, I'm yeah. forever in this world. And, I, you know, to the argument, I think there's a bit of context too, because not every meeting has the same context. Yeah. And so, you know, the power play and the struggle, I, I don't quite understand that. I, I feel like it's like an invitation. Like, whenever I share my link, it's more like, you want to meet with me. If you want to know my openings, this is the easiest way to find it out versus, <laughs> and they already, it's implicit that, you know, yeah. the churning battle of sending emails back and forth. Like just pick a time that makes sense. for you. And that's what I say. Here's my link. Pick a time that works best for you. And if there's something that doesn't fit, let me know. The people who don't
2: like sketching links probably have an EA.
0: Yeah. Like
2: they just have an account executive and they magically make events in your calendar appear. Right. <laughs> that's obviously, I don't even, I mean, we've raised seven point four million i could probably hire an executive assistant and i wouldn't because i don't even think it's a better experience like the executive assistant should not be focused on looking into your private calendar and see if you have a dentist appointment like that's not a good use of your time right like of her of anyone's time of the account executive executive assistant or or yours yeah so yeah this whole conversation is very entertaining to look at in my eyes
0: but good marketing for sure right
2: Oh, absolutely, yeah, um, for both. I, I was On that day, I was chatting with Tope, the Calendly CEO, and yeah. we're just trading notes and just finding this insanely funny,
0: this whole interaction on, on Twitter, so, yeah. How does that work? What kind of relationship do you have with Tope?
2: Uh, very open, very good. We had, I think, the first call about, like, the only call about three, four months ago, Again, this market is is massive. If we go for billions of people, it's like there's the sheer amount of use cases. And Calendly is doing a lot of things differently than us. It's, as you said before, GitHub and GitLab are both like multi-billion dollar companies. What's the market cap of GitLab nowadays? Like 50
0: billion or 60 billion or something. I don't even know. It's so many billions. I've stopped counting, basically. It's a lot
2: yeah it's it's like at some point it's like anywhere north of 20 maybe the stock market crashed and then now it's 25 or something but yeah it's like and i i would even argue people meet for two reasons people do two things on the web it's making money or meeting friends or meeting people Mm -hmm. and eventually people realize that meeting people in person versus you know texting or social media. Like, who knows, maybe Cal turns into some sort of calendar-based social network where it's about the actual interaction with someone and not about just posting on someone's timeline. Mm. You know, there's so many things where both Calendly and Cal become multi-billion dollar uh, companies without ever like having a, a war like it's not like there's a resource we're fighting for I mean obviously most people only have a single calendar link like yours like you have Calendly I have Cal yeah so eventually the, the B2C market will get tight but I think if you look at the sheer amount of people <laughs> like Telegram WhatsApp signal like
0: Dropbox versus Box yeah I mean, exactly drop a few word, few letters in the front of it it's just Box right Dropbox <laughs> or just Box it's like you know, it's kind of, it's kind of silly at, at some point. And I that's why I actually like what's your relationship with Toby, because, hmm. you know, there could be this perspective and I only loosely know some of his history with raising money. Even I think that his first round of funding was like a hundred million dollars or something like that. And it was years hmm. into it. Like he had to grind for a long time with Calum Lee. Yeah. And I only know that really by way of Kurt Mackey, who was on Founders Talk a bit ago. And. Really share with me that part of the story. I'm like, I had no idea. I've been using Kelly for so long. I don't even know who the founder is. Hmm. I run the show called Founders Talk. I'd love to have him on the show at some point and just hear that story because like, you know, you were able to raise money pretty quickly Hmm. while he wasn't. I'm not sure what the difference is, what the context is there really, but there's this scenario where, you know, you just want to understand the details around that. And I just had never really considered. Yeah you know, that fact, that grind, you know, like every startup is a grind for sure. You, know, you got Dropbox versus box, you know, you're going to have competition. Somebody's going to come into the space, mm. be very similar or very same. And, you know, I think the market rewards those who are not straight up copiers, but there's like this, you know, the best artist steal kind of aspect. Obviously it's a lucrative space. There's going to be a lot of things happening here, a lot of innovation, you know, I'm just curious about that relationship, how it works out.
2: Yeah, I, I don't think he ever thought of us as like a copycat because we straight up are not... First of all, there's tons of Calendly copycats that are just SaaS businesses, different name, same features, and there's no differentiation. It's not even a different target market, like literally trying to do the same. So for us, being an open source alternative, I see alternatives as literally an alternative because pretty much all of our enterprise customers... Let us know, hey, whatever you're doing, we cannot do with Calendly. So we love you for doing this. This is amazing. Like highly regulated industries, um, medical companies, uh, we have government customers who luckily don't use Calendly. Like I wouldn't feel comfortable having government appointments go through a private company's uh, database. Just Mm -hmm. for the record, for any government, for any, like imagine like Angela Merkel booking Joe Biden over Calendly. That sounds uh, pretty scary.
0: Why is that? Can you zoom into that? What's the sphere there?
2: Well, I mean, for data privacy reasons, and there's a ton of companies like AWS, for example, who have very strict policies around calendar sharing and calendar integrations. And they're pretty much only allowed to use self-hosted technology that they can look into, like Mm -hmm. completely vet the technology and see if there's no outgoing API requests.
0: So these are examples where they're using the self-hosted Cal. Exactly. Yeah. Those are examples where even if Topi and I were at war,
2: they would just be like, no, we can't serve this use case. And we do same as GitLab versus GitHub, right? Like,
0: right.
2: So, so at, once you have a big enough,
0: there is a competition, but there may not be a war.
2: Exactly. And, and I mean, at the end of the day, every company at some point competes, like we may, who knows, uh, 100%. build like a payment processing, like a native payment processing into our bookings. No, but I mean, I think it's less of a copycat, but more of like, a. Like respect, like we we're very respectful and very interested in each other's journeys because both of us have a long way to go. I mean, raising funding is the day zero, not the that not the goal. And mm-hmm. for him and for the team, they've been going on for like 14 years or something, or 10 years, more than 10 years. A lot of years, yeah. A lot of years, and uh, I'm I'm grateful for their pioneer work of normalizing link sharing. I think that's the biggest thing that this pandemic has shown is that the more and more people work online and we remotely and in a different time zones, you know, we've never had that decentralized organizations before ever. Like if you take a look at our team, we have 14 team members in 12 different time zones or something, anywhere from China to Vancouver, which is almost <laughs> around the entire globe. So that new world requires new solutions. And it's naive to think that Calendly even for Topi to be like, we own this space now and there's no one else going into. So I don't think he he's very respectful with us and I'm respectful for, with them. And it's a very interesting um, relationship. But I think that's how most second-time founders or um, mature founders think of the space. Like you never compete on a, like, you don't compete on war. You compete on the best product and let the consumers decide. And, yeah. and it's also a driving function for innovation because obviously... You know, once you start having a competition, and that's what we see with these megacorps like Google having a monopoly on search and, and YouTube and stuff that at some point innovation stops for lack of incentives. And I think at the end of the day, even if Cal may just turn out to be a small, like go back into a free open source software, just the raw pressure would have made both of our products much better.
0: Help me understand then the footprint then. So what are the ways I can be a consumer of Cal? Remind me again, Cal is the product and Cal.com is the, the SaaS implementation, right? So right. that's how you differentiate. So yeah. if I want to use Cal, I have the option to use Cal.com. And since it's open source, I can spin up probably a Docker instance on some VPS or some cloud host somewhere or whatever, and I could administer my own. So if I'm an enterprise mm-hmm. and I have restrictions, whatever, whatever. Then you've got the EE directory in your open source repo, which is under a different license that is not open source. It's proprietary code still in the same vein, similar to GitLab. I mean, it's, it's, these are all normal practices. Yeah. But I can adopt or pay you for still while using maybe even your open source instance, some EE features and whatnot. Help me, give me, I described probably somewhat the version of that, but give me the real version of how people can use Cal.
2: Yeah, it was very accurate. Very accurate. Good due diligence on our repo. Um, no, we talked to Sid as well. Um, and uh, as the biggest open source IPO recently, we mm-hmm. we think that's also the best practice to build commercial open source. Because um, it really, not only some open source companies have like a closed source enterprise edition, and then that defeats the whole point of, you know, doing your own due diligence on the security and everything. So yeah, we've had at least two security audits so far reporting all kinds of things, which would probably never have been found if it was a, a closed-source product. So that's that's really great to see both the free open core alongside the Enterprise Edition in our repository being checked by peer reviews. Now, the business model is, I'd say, we have two very different products. We have the SaaS option, same as GitLab has a SaaS option to you know do whatever you can do on GitHub. That's cal.com slash Adam. Reasons to use that over Calendly is just... <laughs> It's much shorter, and obviously time matters. And I type my link. I don't know about you, but like I type my link in iMessage or in emails because it's just countly. slash peer. It takes me like four and a half seconds. Yeah, that's really cool.
0: So mine is a lot harder. <laughs> <laughs> I imagine for Countly, my I just it's my whole name. You know, you can probably find it if you. Now that I'm gonna get a bunch of op, you know a bunch of spam and I can't opt out, but yeah, it's my full name, so it's painful to write Countly. And my name. Yeah. And then the, whatever the actual calendar it is for that special link. Like I have a unfurl for that. I don't <laughs> can type it anymore. I used to.
2: Yeah. I imagine. No, I mean, branding is a big thing. It's not the core. I mean, I wouldn't say it come to Cal because of the branding, but we have a ton of people who really appreciate these short domains. I'm a big fan of Hey.com. I use Hey.com for all my personal emails. And the domain, I love it. Every time I give it to someone like a hotel receptionist or something, they're like, oh, this is cool. And we see the same behavior. Branding, obviously, you can copy the recipe of Coca-Cola, but you won't be competing with them in terms of brand.
3: Yeah.
2: And for us, cal.com is a real, real... I have a statistic on cal.com slash open um, the day we rebranded, the, the signups went ballistic, literally like mm. vertical, like a rocket. So yeah, it's it's undeniable that the brand is, is important. But what's more important to me is first, consumers don't give a about open source. They rarely even know the difference. Like, if we really want to connect a billion people, I'd say 90% of them don't know what open source means <laughs> or they have never interacted with open source in a way, like they've never opened a GitHub repository, but they care about the best product. That's at the end of the day, best brand, best product, and best price. That's usually the, the triangle. Mm. And what we've seen with open source, I mean, listen, this company has been around for pretty much eight months now. And we are not only on par with Calendly, but already built things that people asked that were non-existent in Calendly so the rate of innovation and the rate of deployment the, the security you know we have about 13 languages 13 or 14 languages that are all made by the community and peer reviewed by the community is a major factor for us to be actually a better product so it's not only about selling to enterprises and having these highly regulated industries but also it helps us to really have a short feedback cycle talk to customers and also you know scheduling is a very integrations-heavy market. So, you know, Zoom, Google, Calendar, Apple Calendar, and Mm -hmm. Google Meet, that's just a few to name. And then there's uh, other, like, some analytics products. And for us being open, just as an example, we have a Web3 video integration, which is called huddle.io, huddle01.com. Sorry, bit of a mouthful, huddle01.com. And they provide, like a peer-to-peer Zoom alternative with like NFT avatars and you can connect your MetaMask wallet and uh, pretty much same niche focus as our Web3 integration. And they told me they've been trying to chase down like a head of engineering or CTO or like VP of engineering at Calendly to build the integration. Like they literally said, just give us docs. We will build it for you and we would love to be part of this ecosystem. And it took them like months and they still haven't received a reply. And for us, they saw Cal.com. They saw the opportunity, and they opened a pull request. And three days after, it was merged. Like, that's just fantastic for any developer who wants to, you know, contribute to a project or any SaaS business. Honestly, like, if you have the alternative between an open core where anyone can contribute to, and, and for example, Tandem, which is another Andreessen Horowitz-funded company, which is doing like Zoom but more like for remote teams and like really like with takeover control of your computer and a ton of really cool things. For them, it was the same experience. They looked at Cal and they said, hey, this is quite interesting and quite easy to integrate. And without our permission, they made a pull request and we looked at it and it was safe to merge. And now they're live. And that's something I mentioned a lot of consumers will appreciate. They will never know what the process is behind the scenes. But one day they wake up and be like, why does Cal have 20 apps and Calendly only 10 or something, or Mm a hundred apps, or why is this missing? What can I do to add it? So I think that's just something where uh, open source really shines by, if you have the developer, you pretty much own the market for most industries. Like you could be the PayPal and, you know, have good GMV, but I would want to have my stock in Stripe Mm -hmm. (laughs) because I think that's where the innovation is happening when you really
0: foster the engineer communities. Yes but they're also not open source. That's true. But also
2: I don't think an open source Stripe wouldn't be better than a closed source Stripe because I think the value proposition of Stripe is the valuable partnerships with the banks.
0: This episode is brought to you by our friends at FireHydrant. FireHydrant is the reliability platform for every developer. Incidents, they impact everyone, not just SREs. They give teams the tools to maintain service catalogs, respond to incidents, communicate through status pages, and learn with retrospectives. What would normally be manual, error-prone tasks across the entire spectrum of responding to an incident. They can all be automated in every way with FireHydrant. They have incident tooling to manage incidents of any type with any severity with consistency declare and mitigate incidents all from inside slack service catalogs allow service owners to improve operational maturity and document all your deploys in your service catalog incident analytics allow you to extract meaningful insights about your reliability over any facet of your incident or the people who respond to them and at the heart of it all incident run books they let you create custom automation rules to convert manual tasks into automated reliable repeatable sequences that run when you want you can create slack channels jira tickets zoom bridges instantly after declaring an incident now your processes can be consistent and automatic the next step is to try it free small teams up to 10 people can get started for free with all fire hydrant features included no credit card is required get started at firehydrant.io again firehydrant.io and by signal wire SignalWire offers APIs, SDKs, and edge networks around the world for building the realest real-time video and video communication apps with less than 50 milliseconds of latency. They use WebSockets to deliver 300% lower latency than APIs built on REST. Making it ideal for apps where every millisecond and responsiveness makes a difference. Like apps that need instant natural language understanding, real-time machine vision, or large-scale video and audio conferencing. Here's what makes them different. They use MCU, Multi-Point Control Unit, that mixes all video and all audio feeds on the server side. And then distributes a single unified stream back to every participant. That way, every participant in the apps you ship experience the same video and the same Audio. Your apps have none of the awkward audio effects, obvious lag, and jumpy video. It's all smooth, great UX, creating a more lifelike virtual experience without compromising audio or the video quality. Head to Signalwire.com/video. Mention Founders Talk and get an extra 5,000 video minutes. Again, Signalwire.com/video and mention Founders Talk. an interesting space that's for sure i mean i never really considered how complex it could be it sounds like what you're saying though is even by current measures current time and market even you're innovating faster than Calendly and that's not you talking crap it's just simply
2: no this is just statistics if you take a look at Calicom slash open yeah the amount of pull requests and changes yeah
0: yeah what do you think is driving that do you think that um i don't want to pit this as like a you versus them i just want to understand the mindset really do you feel like you understand the value proposition of what this market is more and you're moving faster as a result of that? Or do you think that they got not so much lazy or just like whatever it is, whenever you get comfortable, you know what I mean? Like there was something Steve Jobs said, like, was like, don't be comfortable, right? Always be, (laughs) always be out there. Kind of, I I forget what the quote actually is, but Mm. it's something on that. Like, don't be comfortable. You know, do you think it's a, a matter of like contentment and comfortability or do you think it's like, lack of vision and you have the vision, not you personally, but like you as corporately Cal. What do you think?
2: Well, I mean, there's a, I'd say two or three powers at play. One of them is we're six months old or or let's say 10 months inclusive, the free repository initially, and they are 10 years old. So it's the difference between 10 months and 10 years. And I imagine I'll be at a bit, I have different life priorities in 10 years than I have today. Now that's not an excuse. There's a ton of, I mean, the Microsoft CEO has done an amazing quarter like recently. And uh, obviously everyone's way beyond my age and and it's just crushing it. So I wouldn't say that's the main argument. But yeah, I mean, having, as you mentioned before, it was not easy for Calendly initially. And it was a long, long, long grind. And now they really have an amazing business, but that was not always the case. I think, yeah, your priorities at some point change and you'll be like, oh, maybe, you know, this is fine for now. I mean, <laughs> not everyone, maybe they have ambitions to go public. Maybe they have ambitions to, you know, um, become the next GitHub or or something. But mm-hmm. no, for us, I think it's first of, yeah, it's it's very young and we don't think of stopping anytime soon. Like we're not really happy with the product today. We're not happy. Well, we're happy with it, but like not content, as you said, or like yeah. comfortable. The second thing at work is the feedback cycle. We have a Slack channel with almost 2,000 users or engineers. Uh, if something doesn't work, if something uh, needs to be improved, if a button should be on the left, not on the right, we know it immediately. Like, I literally open my MacBook 8 a.m. in the morning and get feature requests that totally make sense, are well-reviewed, sometimes even built by the community, and I just click on Merge Pull Request. And suddenly a really painful bug has been fixed that otherwise would have taken, again, not trying to, you know, um, belittle them, but like any SaaS company would take first, you, you send a ticket to support at company.com and then support says, we will look into this. We will add it to our roadmap. And then you never hear back from them again. That's literally my experience with 99% of SaaS companies. I report a bug to, that's not the case for open source. You know, I, I, I think I saw a tweet. I want to work at this company just to fix this bug and then quit again. And I forgot what this company was, but someone tweeted that. Mm -hmm. And this is literally why you contribute to open source. Some bugs are just so annoying to your own usage that you just want to jump in and change a single line of code and re-contribute it back or something. Mm -hmm. And that's obviously also amplifying the rate of innovation and You know, this just as a side note, the languages we've launched, we couldn't do without the community. I don't speak Arabic. I don't speak Chinese. I don't speak Japanese. And if it was a closed source team and you have this value system of privacy and you want to protect your code base and you don't want to have exposure. Like we don't sign NDAs. Why would we sign NDAs? Everything's public. So like there's so many more efficiencies by being a public company that, well, obviously we have NDAs for the production database, but like anything code related is common code. And that really helps us move fast and and really innovate faster.
0: What about specific ways that uh, your team's able to work? Async, remote, distributed, what's your setup?
2: We are fully remote, fully async. We don't have any recurring meetings in the team, only like some optional check-ins if you want to. We use Cal for our internal meetings. <laughs> so if you ever want to do a pair programming session, everyone has a pair programming link and you just book someone and jump on a call. I made a tweet the other day of like how async companies can make use of scheduling products because I fundamentally think async first doesn't mean async only. We still need eye-to-eye conversations and the rate of you know information we both are exchanging is probably 100 times higher than if I would... <laughs> send you like an async document and, and you send it back. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of companies have this culture of, hey, let's jump on a call, you know, like or, or just randomly call you, you know, that's a no-go for us. We always schedule calls and we, we take, if it's a non-priority, we move it at the end of the week, let's say, if, it, if it's like something that's not urgent. And sometimes by Thursday, you cancel the event on Friday because it's just been fixed or something. So um, we really want this ace and culture and having a scheduling link also gives the other person the control because you can book out your busy times. You can put in calendar events for focus time. I use clockwise, which is like a Google calendar extension to like help me block my productivity hours. So even though we're working on a sync product, it's actually helping us run asynchronous, which is fantastic because not everything can be asynchronous, like job interviews or calls with investors or closing calls or podcasts. (laughs) Um, Mm. These things will always be um, synchronous. And we want to make sure that uh, having a, a synchronous meetup is as pleasant as possible.
0: Sometimes I bring out verbatim, something I ask you in the sort of opening questions that aren't part of the show. Uh, that document. I said, what lessons have you learned that you can share? And you just said community first. So unpack that for me. What does that mean? What lesson is that when it comes to community first?
2: Yeah. I mean, we had a community before we had a product. When I started back in the days, it was called calenzo.com. I made a, pretty much like a visual white paper website where you could sign up for a waitlist, and that waitlist would also take you to Slack. So pretty much like, here's what I want to build, you know, open source, developer first, Calendly alternative. Um, if you think this is great, join our community. And yeah, I mean, from that day on, we've been nurturing our community with updates, with, we sometimes do Twitch streams where we live code new features, which obviously also only works for open source. And um celebrate product-time launches. Like we've been product of the day twice now with two different launches, uh, product of the week, of the month, just because we have this super powerful community. We have investors from our community who put in as like little as $2,000 in our seat round. Yeah, it's just, um, I think it's really hard to build a developer-first company without a community. <laughs> yeah, borderline impossible, in my opinion. And that's also why I don't think Calendly would be able to open source and then like, compete in the open source space because open source is not just like leaked code, like Twitch code base was leaked. It doesn't make it an open source company. It's the entire values and visions and thesis and uh, community um, engagement. So mm-hmm. it's a real mode. It's a real strong feedback loop for us. It's something we will always foster and prioritize. And also, obviously, it, it, it also helps us to do the right thing because I think once you lose touch with your customer base you may end up doing business decisions like charging the wrong feature or, or removing the wrong feature and we're always kept accountable by like literally a 2,000 people it's like having a board a board of 2,000 customers <laughs> to mm-hmm. that constantly tell you hey we like this more than this sometimes you need to go against it for well good reasons or some other reasons. But in general, it's a really good guiding system to make them the best decision.
0: What about you personally? What, uh, what would you say your day is like? Your personal day. What What are some of the things that excite you about maybe even just today or this week? And what are some things that are like super challenging for you personally?
2: Yeah, I've finally been back to the gym. I did a rest week last week just to recover from some yeah, just uh, some. Back problems and some other stuff, so I'm I'm very glad to be having like some gym time again. It's really relaxing for me, and my day is pretty structured. I, again, I use Clockwise to put in like uh, lunch time and and focus time, and like pretty much I'm usually working on more like US hours than European. Like it's not uncommon for me to work until midnight. Or not midnight, but like 11 p.m. And then I sleep until 9, so I get like eight hours of sleep. Mm -hmm. I have an Aura ring, so it keeps me accountable to get in my eight hours of sleep. And uh, we're actually working with a developer platform to launch like an Aura integration where it would reschedule your link if you had a bad sleep. So uh, it would reschedule your morning event if you had a bad sleep before.
0: Yeah, because there's times I'm like, these are days I definitely can be here on Tuesday all the days. Mm -hmm. But today... Cause we have kids, you know, we, you know, just saying we have kids basically means like chaos ensues (laughs) unexpectedly. So Mm -hmm. something will happen to my wife's morning, which impacts my morning or our day or our lunchtime or just anything. So, yeah.
2: You, you, you're going to love the next app that I'm working on. So um, something we haven't talked about is we're launching an app store for time where any person can launch kind of like an app store for your iPhone. Uh, You can launch uh, like a, a small app, whether it's a video integration or just something else in our app store, um, something like the Slack app store or Intercom app store or some other app stores. And one app I'm personally working on is called Nuke My Cal, and it's a big red button that makes an explosion sound. When you press it, it reschedules your entire day. Yeah. So basically, if you have you know, an emergency, your kid just ran into, uh, into the wall and now needs to go to the hospital with a bleeding nose, you just do... Boom. And then uh, your entire schedule, like you, you auto send a message to everyone who you had a meeting with. And it also offers you to like move it to like just a few settings. And yeah, that's something I'd love to have because so many times, like I recently was sick in Lisbon and I was like, I had like eight calls that day and I clicked on every event. Hey, I'm sorry, I'm sick. Can we do tomorrow? Hey, I'm sorry, I'm sick. Can we do tomorrow? Hey, I'm, and, and that day I was like, I want a big red button. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah.
2: So I would yeah.
0: totally nuke my day. I might even nuke half the day or nuke my morning. Something, anything. Nuke a portion of it. So at some point, <laughs> you then have settings which wow. can cause issues. Peer, but we'll we'll uh, we'll get there when we get there. Yeah. But day, I'll, I'll be a first yeah. user. Of that I'll be a beta tester for you if you'd like. because I'll nuke my morning just for, just for fun. <laughs>
2: <laughs> it makes a cool sound effect as well.
0: It sounds like there's some instant gratification in terms of like some sort of visual mm-hmm. and a sound effect. So that might make me happy. Just it brings me out of my potential funk because of the situation. And then I know that uh through automation and you know, trust in the system basically that things will get rescheduled. Yeah, for sure. And that that actually has been one thing I could say personally about my experience with sharing links to my calendar. It's been really easy to not only schedule but then reschedule and allow them to reschedule too because I'll get a a cancel or or a you know moved link and like all this stuff just happens and I like I didn't have to get one email from them to approve with them and go back and forth and like life is just so much easier because of that reduced friction and if this nuke button can give me (laughs) less friction then uh, ease
2: of mind for emergencies yeah, yeah yeah for sure I mean, everyone wakes up one day, and especially now with this pandemic, like Bailey, my co-founder, knock on wood, just has COVID like since yesterday. And yeah, I mean, one day you just wake up and you're just not functioning. And yeah, you want to have a nuke my cal button to say, sorry, I'm out of office for the next. And maybe even you add a setting where it not only nukes your cow, but it also just blocks out. Three four days in advance, mm-hmm. so you don't even need to log into Calendly, change your availability or Cal.com, and and just you don't even need to do anything. Just says like,
0: yeah, I'm done
2: for this week, like
0: precisely, yeah, exactly. Don't deal with me. Yeah, I, I got some ideas for you. I, I, we should we should workshop this because <laughs> I can share some more ideas with you back and forth on this. Because I mean,
2: yeah, I'd love to talk to power users of scheduling links.
0: There's a lot of things you can do with this, and you know what? That's why I want to have this conversation with you because I have been such a fan of Calendly and the process for so many years. And like, even this call here, we scheduled, and I apologize. I'm like, I'm sorry, mm-hmm. I'm sending you a Calendly <laughs> link. And I, I just wasn't sure, like, if you'd be offended. <clears throat> I didn't think you would be, but, you know, I just pre apologize. like, hey, I know we're talking about your product, and this is what I use, and you know that. That's the marketplace, that's how it works. But yeah. at the same time, I was like, I don't want to offend you by sending you the opposing marketplace constituent, basically. You know, so that's just how it works. But I've just been such a fan of, like, the work in this space. And I would say now having this conversation with you, I'm kind of like renewed, not that Tope is by any means not focused. And I don't want to like speak ill of their focus. They seem very focused as well, but clearly you have a magnification on a particular focus and it might even drive them. Cause like from my perspective, having been such a user for so long, I didn't see any competition for them (laughs) for years. And maybe that's why, you know where in the areas where you've been able to push and succeed, they just hadn't gone into those areas because there just was no, there was no competition. Maybe they had, like it's like the the turtle and the hare kind of perspective. Like the turtle, I don't know if this is actually a great analogy or not, but the turtle it's kind of like just moved their own pace. Where the hare felt like they had all the time in the world because they were fast. You know because they were fast, mm. they could. Stop and chill and look at the flowers, or do whatever the hare did in the story. I don't remember the exact story, but the, yeah. the turtle just had to move at its absolute fastest pace, which was still slow.
3: Yeah,
0: and the turtle won over the hare. You know what I mean?
2: No, I mean I I totally get that sentiment, and I would I I wouldn't even blame Topi or I mean everyone builds companies for different types of reasons and. Uh, You know, there's a ton of indie, like for the longest time, it technically was an indie business. You know, I mean, it was, yeah. It's a bootstrapped, organically grown organization with, and being bootstrapped has pros, but also has a ton of cons. Like for us as a VC funded business with, you know, employees who have equity in the company, like millions of dollars in the company who want to, you know, make this thing take off. It's just a different sense of incentives. And incentives at the end of the day drive everything the good decisions and the bad decisions and you know, it's just um, culture is is very important. And we try to keep our culture very developer and and community focused and, and like um, humble. And I think it's also interesting the difference between not being bootstrapped because it gives us with the VC funding, just focused on building. I mean, that's the classic playbook, like aggressively building market share focused products and not taking what's we've turned down some enterprise deals, let's say where we would really need to stretch our code base and focus on an entirely different problem set of problems, even though it may make 200,000 a year or something, we, we turn it down because we did not depend on it immediately to keep the lights on. Mm-hmm. So I think there's some unfair advantages and it would be not smart to play them to your strength. So for us, Sure, revenue is great and it's important and and a key KPI for us, but also is market share and developer adoption. So if we can grow faster and and really build um, a great product for for these people to use, Mm -hmm. we should be in a good shape.
0: Can you share any details around revenue right now? Like, are you in the black, you in the red? Are Are you making more than your burn rate?
2: We've recently hired a ton of more people and we probably end up hiring maybe five to 10 more in the next quarter. So we will be in the red for a long time. That's what we see funding is for. We have about five to seven years of runway. So there's uh, not really a requirement for us to turn a profit. We could turn a profit probably next quarter if we chose to, if we wouldn't be reinvesting in... Mm -hmm you know, building out the team and building out more features or marketing, branding, etc. No, we're not profitable. Um, I don't think it's the case for most six, 10 months old companies. <laughs> and also never the goal for VC-funded companies. No, but revenue is great. I mean, I think revenue has been growing consistently for 30 50% month over month. We're experimenting a lot with the new infrastructure pricing. So um, those deals are now coming in. And as you may imagine, enterprise deals usually take anywhere from six months to two years to really flourish. Mm-hmm. Us having closed these deals already is just a testament of like, people really want this because if you're only 10 months old and you have two or three enterprise customers, then it's it's a good sign.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So do you pay attention to revenue or is it like how top of line is it for you on the KPI?
2: I sign into Stripe like every three weeks and have like a surprise face. <laughs> like it's, it's like, um,
0: like a down or an up
2: face. No, like a good face, but like, it's not like I, I manically look at the day-to-day revenue. I think we, we've actually had a bug where people were able to create a pro account without paying. And I didn't notice. So maybe I should look more out for actual revenue. <laughs> we fixed it now, but like this would probably not happen as an indie business because that's your bread and butter. Right. No, I mean, it's still at the end of the day, we at least intend to go public and you will be always judged on fundamentals and not on stories and rainbows and butterflies. Yeah. No, I mean, revenue for us is a very important KPI and especially the enterprise space has very interesting margins.
0: So when uh, I met Sid Sobrandage years ago, like this was before I believe he even disclosed it to someone like me that they plan to go public. Well, we've been friends over the years, so maybe we'll be friends over the years. We'll have you back on at some point. So <laughs> would love to. Yeah, did I hear you right? You said you you intend to go public. This is this is the plan is to be a public company. We don't want to go
2: public for the sake of going public. I'm a big proponent of like not having a. I'm trying to have not a big ego, uh, like I'm trying to make this decision based on my ethics and values and not... Like, I think it's
0: one thing to have conviction and an ego, though. Like, it's sounds like you have conviction, not an ego.
2: Yeah, well, I mean, some people want to go public because they want to go public. Some people see going public as the best way to have the most impact. Like, for us, to reach a billion people... Well, first of all, there's two ways to think about it. A, to reach a billion people, you probably need north of $100 million in funding, which at the end of the day means you will probably raise one, two or three consecutive rounds of funding, which then also means the people you bring on board will look for a liquidation event to return the fund. I mean, that's just pure mechanic.
0: Yeah. That's how it works.
2: So eventually by just picking a very big ambitious goal, like connecting a billion people, you end up in a, in an industry where you either sell for a couple of billion to Google or you go public. And I like this to be an independent company, the way Sid. Runs GitLab as an independent company. So I think, and even Stripe will eventually go public. Like, it just, there's too much forces at play to liquidate early, early investors. So that's the first line of thinking. Once you're in this industry, you will probably end up having a liquidation event if things go well. And the second way of thinking it is, we think as an open source company and looking at other open source companies, being a public company is another testament of being. Like just yeah, a public, an open company that anyone can, you know, share that the upside. Of. If I bought GitLab on the day they IPO, because I never had a chance to buy any secondaries before, and I want them to do well. I truly believe in the mission, and I, I want the retail investors to to profit of it as well. So I think mm-hmm. that's my view on public companies. I don't see it as a way of. Like just having having it in my CV, like or check market. It. Mm-hmm. It's more of like, okay, what's the economics behind it? What's the best way to connect uh, as many people as you can? And then fundamentally, that's probably the outcome.
0: Yeah, the way you describe it is almost the way you build goals and habits, right? Sometimes someone can just set a goal and not put in the habits to get to the goal. Yep. Whereas it seems the way you described it, you described all the habits, which is like the intermediate outcomes that you want to see happen. Mm -hmm. Well, a natural result of those things happening is going to be the kind of company that goes public, right?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely right. It's a mix of compounding effects, like every day, you know, trying to do your best and really small iterations and, and growth and, you know, revenue is growing exponentially, usage is growing exponentially. So eventually that by design ends up to be a big company. Mm-hmm. And the second thing is uh, there's some people who overly obsess about like making a million dollars or making 10 million or, or having this fixed mindset of like goals. And for me, revenue is just the outcome of a very good product. Like it's an outcome of solving a massive pain in a massive market. And if you check both of the boxes and you do a good product in a massive market, it's really hard to not make revenue. Like if you really take a look at the companies who solve a massive problem, they may struggle to turn a profit because they have huge costs, but it's really hard to solve a bananasly big problem and not make any revenue. So for me, it's more like a the outcome, not the goal.
0: Let me reveal something then to you because the, I was pressing you on this revenue perspective, not so much for you to disclose your revenue or for you to say how often you check it or you to know the exact number. What I was really trying to understand was, what are you focusing on? Because what you're focusing on isn't... We focus on bookings. Right, exactly. Like, what is the KPI that you are focusing on? You know, because it sounds like you're getting to the outcomes and the different stuff. And that's, you know, we kind of got there to some degree, but that's why I was really asking, like, what are you really focusing on? It was my kind of follow-up question, but we got there a little ways. That's great. We got there,
2: yeah. No, absolutely bookings. And also, it plays well with our vision of connecting a billion people because if we charge enterprises per booking and we intend to connect a billion people, then obviously connecting a billion people is a good metric.
0: Well, Pierre, I'm excited about what you're doing. I'm glad we had this conversation because I definitely understand what you're doing far more better. We didn't necessarily go into your personal story as much as I wanted to. <laughs> next time. Next time, for sure. And I, I, I can guarantee based upon what you're doing, you're going to be a regular back on here. Maybe next year or six <laughs> months from now or whatever the next big thing is for Cal for you. And, uh, I totally open to that and, uh, anything in closing, any wisdom you want to share, you know, is there anything on the horizon? What's super secret that maybe no one knows about that you can share here today? Like maybe it's out there kind of known, but not quite well known Oh, or something completely secret that, uh, you can kind of give a tease to today.
2: Yeah. Well, I mean, I can definitely tease some stuff. So we had a, this amazing web three launch a couple of days ago, literally two three days ago. And, and that went viral with, a quarter million impressions but i think the next launch or the next announcement probably going live in like two or three weeks i think that's that will really make waves Uh, so i'm very excited about that i can't disclose what it is right now i know everyone wants to know it but Mm. maybe by the time this goes live we can edit in the show notes
0: so well let me say this show won't go live for two at least two weeks maybe three weeks so i think we have some time if you can share something but if not, then I'll I'll leave it to you.
2: I think for uh, legal reasons, I can't disclose it yet. But it's very, very, uh, very exciting. I mean, something I can disclose is the, the App Store for Time, which is going live. And uh, we will have a developer program where we will give out small grants or uh, even small investments into, let's say, time-based startups. If you want to build a hiring marketplace or a mental health marketplace, um, not only we provide you with the infrastructure, but also with the knowledge and funding to really build Something that, you know, connects to people. So that's something I'm really excited about.
0: Interesting. All right, Pierre. Well, thank you so much for your time today here on Funnish Talk. It's been awesome talking to you. Anything else? Is there anything left unsaid? Anything I didn't ask you?
2: Well, first of all, thank you for having me. I love the show. Excited to be part of it. Anything missing? Yeah, you can follow me on Twitter. It's uh, Pierre underscore Rich. um, abbreviation of my last name please don't try saying my last <laughs> name it's a multiple i've had this handle for 10 years so <laughs> don't blame me
0: <laughs> Richardson. It's, it's pretty easy we'll get it right don't worry
3: oh,
2: okay okay so yeah please
3: uh
0: it's not the german enunciation version of it. it's the americanized version of your name i'm sorry but that's what you
2: yeah uh, you told me so. yeah. Okay. yeah that's perfect
0: well cool it's been uh it's been awesome having you thank you so much for joining me thank you
2: thank you ciao
0: Alright, that's it for this episode. Thank you for tuning in. Do me a favor. If you love the show, share it with a friend. That's the best way to help us reach more people and to share these awesome stories. Big thanks again to Pierre for his time, his story, and the wisdom he shared. And of course, big thanks to our friends and our partners at Fastly. Our pods are fast to download globally because Fastly is fast globally. Check them out at Fastly.com and also to break massive cylinder. Our beats are banging because bmc makes banging beats and of course last but not least thank you to you for listening to the show all the way to the end i really appreciate everyone around the world who tunes into this show if you haven't yet subscribed head to founderstalk.fm for all the ways to subscribe that's it this show's done thanks for tuning in we'll see you again real soon